glad to be in the house of God this morning. Anybody else excited to be here? Um, I am I am excited uh, about the word for today. Um, not because of of anything particular uh, that that's here in my notes, but um, I had an amazing experience uh, this past Friday. Um, I was actually uh, privileged and honored to uh, help to serve. Um, at a uh, 100th anniversary for a ministry. And, um, yeah, yeah, that deserves a round of applause. And, and it was amazing because this ministry is, is celebrating 100 years and they talked about all the things that the ministry has overcome. Uh, the ministry started in 1919, right before the Great Depression started, uh, World War One, World War Two, uh, the Civil Rights Movement, um, all of these different things that the ministry has has been able to uh, not only make it through, uh, but also uh, function uh, in a high capacity and, and on a certain level, and that was a blessing to me. Uh, considering that we're in our first year, um, what it what it really brought into perspective is that uh, when you are doing the work of God, yeah. it goes beyond you. Yeah. And and I wonder if the founder of that church ever considered that that church would be celebrating 100 years. And so and so so what I begin to think about was uh, my role as a leader. And, and doing what I can to plant the foundation that will allow abundant faith to celebrate a hundred years, even yes. when we're all dead and gone, yes. uh, but the yes. ministry will still stand. And so I was excited to be a part of that service. And then, uh, ironically enough, uh, my favorite preacher in the world, Dr. E. Dewey Smith, was the, was the speaker for that night. And I was able to hear him in person and I was able to meet him and, and have a conversation with him and everything. And, and the word that he delivered was, was so refreshing. And, and it brought a new perspective, uh, not just for the message that he gave, um, but, but uh, just a moment of transparency. A lot of times, um, preachers and ministers and pastors, uh, we have to get ours where we can. Um, because we spend a lot of time pouring out to other people and we have to get ours where we can. And so uh, uh, I felt rejuvenated leaving there. And um, I'm hoping that that will pour over into today uh, because because it, it was just so refreshing to um, to not only be encouraged, but to be challenged, to be convicted uh, and, and, and to uh, to be motivated to do the will of God. And so um, uh, today I want to get into the word uh, because I want us to um, not only be motivated, but I also want us to be aware uh, of how to handle distractions, the distractions that might come when we are doing kingdom business. So with that being said, uh, find in your Bibles Acts chapter 28, the book of Acts chapter 28, and we're going to start right at verse 1. Acts chapter 28, 
verse 1. Let me know you have it by standing to your feet. If you need some help, yell SOS. chapter 28 we starting right at verse 1 uh, we're going to read down through verse 6 uh, and, it, and it reads this way now when they had escaped they then found out that the island was called Malta and the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold but when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on to his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Okay. Um, uh, I want to go back. I want to go back to verse five. Uh, Verse five says, but he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Now, normally I don't ask for crowd participation, but I need you to do one thing for me real quick. I just need you to shake real quick. Just shake. Okay. Because the title of today's message is Shake It Off. Shake it off. off. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We ask that you make it real, make it relevant. Let no one leave the same way they came. God, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive, and God, let us be obedient to you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Let everyone say amen. 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 You may be seated in God's house. Um, uh, as I stated before, sometimes when we're doing, uh, many times when we're, when we're functioning in ministry, many times when we are functioning uh, 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 in obedience to the will of God over our lives, um, the enemy will come in uh, and make strong attempts to distract us uh, and to throw us off course uh, so that we will we will lose focus of what's important. Um, but sometimes we have to make a decision. We have to resolve within our minds. We have to resolve within our hearts that whatever we face while we're on the battlefield for the Lord, whatever comes against us, whatever tries to attack us, whatever tries to distract us, we're just going to shake it off and keep moving. Uh, There are some times when you have to decide that there are some people and places in your life that can't handle where you're headed. So you have to shake it off and keep moving. Sometimes you have to decide that there are uh, some circumstances that I cannot involve myself with because they're causing me more harm than good. And although I love you, I got to leave you because what you have going on is a distraction to my mission. And unfortunately, I got to shake it off and keep going. So sometimes uh, we have to resolve and we have to decide that we're not going to allow anything or anyone to distract us from our mission. And that's what's happening in the text, because in this text, uh, Paul, Paul is actually 
um, a captive. Paul is actually a jailbird. He's under arrest. Uh, Paul is uh, a convict. And, and, and Paul tried to explain to them uh, that maybe they should wait before they begin to take this journey. And of course, nobody wants to listen to a convict. Uh, so they ignore Paul's request and they decide to make the journey early and they find themselves in the middle of the storm and, and they start losing what's important to them because they're trying to lighten the load so that the anchors uh, will work properly. And, and they begin to throw off the things that are important like fuel and food. And, and Paul has to tell them, Stop throwing away what's important to you uh, because uh, we have to make it to our destination because God has too much in store for me for us to fail. Uh, and so because you're attached to me, uh, then you can be attached to victory because I know the call of God on my life. And if you just stay close to me, you'll make it at the least to where I'm going. And so um, they don't want to listen to Paul but and, and, and staying back, but they find uh, that Paul was right. So they begin to listen to Paul and, and the ship begins to fall apart. And Paul gives instructions and tells everyone who can swim to jump off the boat and swim to the island and everyone else to just pick up the pieces of the boat and float your way to the island. And so they find here in the text, Acts 28, verse 1, they find out that when they get to shore, that the island that they have landed on is called Malta. And there are uh, natives of the land uh, on, on Malta, and uh, many people would consider those natives to be heathens. Uh, they, they, they were uncultured. They were, they, they were untaught. They were wildlings, if you will. And, and so, uh, but, but what happened uh, was when they got there, they found that, that these uncultured wildlings were unusually kind. Uh, uh, these people, these people had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. These people had never heard about the saving power of God. These people had never been to church a day in their lives. These people had never kneeled down to pray. These people had never gave a blessing over their food. These people knew nothing about it, but somehow they, they still uh, were willing to show an unusual kindness. And it's funny that sometimes we can find ourselves in places, we can find ourselves in circumstances where the people who should be showing unusual kindness are walking around with their nose in the air and looking all stuck up. And, and, and when we come into church, people are sitting with their hands folded and they mouth tight. But I can go into a room full of heathens and find unusual kindness. It, it's amazing to me uh, how, how where the places uh, where we can find an unusual kindness. But... Uh, but there's some lessons to be learned uh, when they get to the island of Malta. There's some lessons to be learned. Uh, uh, and, and the title of the message is Shake It Off. So I got a few things uh, that I want to lift up for you. And then we'll go ahead and get out of here. Um, the first thing is this. Uh, we, you need to learn to shake it off. Write this down. When opposers attack. Okay. You need to learn to shake it off when opposers Attack now. Um, um, you 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 gotta you gotta follow me in verse three. Uh, the opposers attack. It says in verse three. Uh, but when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. Um, there 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 was a problem because um, Paul is doing work. Paul is saying, listen. 
uh, we're shipwrecked, um, we're guests on your island, you guys are showing unusual kindness to us. It's cold out here. It's raining. Y'all put a fire together for us to get warm, uh, maybe heat up some food. Uh, and, and, and so because you're showing unusual kindness to me, I don't want to uh, show any sort of ungratefulness to you. Uh, so I'm not just going to sit back and let you serve me. Uh, I'm going to get to work myself. And so Paul says, I'm going to help y'all. I'm going to gather. I'm going to gather some sticks uh, to make sure that the fire lasts. Through the night, and 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 unfortunately, it was that work that made Paul vulnerable. Um, um, it was it was that work. Uh, it was that work that ex- exposes Paul to the threat of an attack. It was because. Paul was working. If Paul would have just been sitting still with his feet propped up, uh, ringing a bell for room service, then Paul would never have been in a position to be attacked by an opposer. Uh, But because Paul decided to get to work, Paul made himself vulnerable to an attack. Uh, This is uh, something that Paul then uh, teaches in the book of Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12, Paul writes these words, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Anytime you're doing work, especially for God, you open yourself up to the potential of attacks. And so because Paul puts himself to work, he now makes himself vulnerable uh, for an attack of the enemy. But here's where I get confused. Here's where I get confused. Uh, verse three says uh, that Paul decided he was going to he, he was going to gather a bundle of sticks and he laid them on a fire on the fire. And a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. Um, here's where I got an issue. The fire uh, was already made. The people that live on Malta, the natives, the natives made the fire. The natives had already made the fire. The fires already made the heat. It's already there. But the Bible says that Paul lays sticks onto the fire and that because of the heat, the viper attacks Paul. But Paul is not the one who started the fire. All Paul did was lay the sticks down. But because of the heat, the viper attacks Paul. Well, how come the heat didn't cause the viper to attack the natives when they was making the fire? What, what, what What was it about the heat? That, 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 that Paul was laying down that made him so vulnerable to the attack. Be- because the snake really should have already, if the, if, if the fire is what brings the viper out, then the viper should have already been exposed before Paul goes to lay his sticks. So I'm trying to figure out how is it that Paul doesn't see the viper if the heat is the cause of the viper being exposed. And, 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 I, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading the text looking for some sort of inkling, some sort of idea that would tell me, was Paul just not paying attention? Was the viper there the entire time? And Paul just wasn't paying attention. Was Paul just not worried about it? Did Paul say, uh, well, whatever happens, happens. And if it attacks, it attacks. And if not, fine. What, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how is it that the viper only comes out even though the heat is already there. I'm trying to figure out why is it that the viper only comes out when Paul goes to lay his sticks. Now on a spiritual level, I could tell you that maybe the reason why Paul uh, was attacked when he began to lay his sticks is is because uh, uh, Paul was the only one who was a threat to the enemy. 
from on a spiritual level, I could tell you that because the natives of Malta were heathens and because they weren't followers of Christ, because they had no knowledge of God, because they had uh, never stepped foot in the church, that it was no need to attack them because they were already on their way to hell. I, I could tell you that, but I don't know that to be true. I don't know if that's why the viper decided to wait for Paul, because then that would pose another question. How would the viper know that Paul was even coming? So I'm still trying to figure out what it is about Paul that makes this viper want to attack when Paul lays down his sticks. The natives put the, put, the, put the sticks and put the fire together. They light the fire. Everything's going good. They add to the fire. And then when Paul comes to lay his sticks, now the viper comes out. But the Bible says the viper only came out because of the heat, but the heat was already there. Y'all look just as confused as I am. How is it that Paul is the only one vulnerable to this viper? So, so because I couldn't find anything in the text, um, I decided to do some research about vipers. And what I found out in my research about vipers is that all vipers are not created equal. All vipers not created equal. Um, maybe y'all smarter than me, and if so, praise God for you. But I thought a viper was a species of snake. I, I, I thought, I thought that, that, that you line up a group of snakes and you got anacondas over here uh, and, and, and you got boa constrictors over here. You got the king cobra right here. You got a viper right there. You got a rattlesnake. I thought a viper was a species of snake. But when I did my research, I found out that a viper is not at all a species of snake. I found out in my research that a viper is, in fact, a category of snakes. Um, um, I found out I found out that that some vipers uh, can get up to 11 feet long. And, and then I found out that other vipers uh, don't grow more than two inches. Um, I, I found out that there are some some unique uh, uh, characteristics that would make a snake be considered a viper. Um, vipers can do this strange thing with their fangs and vipers uh, can, can actually uh, retract their fangs and what they do is they fold over and they lay at the top of the jawbone. And, 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 and vipers, uh, most of them can open up their mouths 180 degrees. So, so, so when they open their mouths 180 degrees, it allows for the fangs uh, to, to fully expose. So, so vipers have some of the longest fangs uh, in, in, in the snake family. Because they can, they can hide the fangs, they can lay the fangs down in their jawline, and when they're ready to release them, they can open their mouths uh, up to 180 degrees to release the fangs. And then, and then behind the fang, uh, there is a there is a uh, a venom gland uh, that when they when they when they release the fangs it allows for the venom uh, uh, to spew um, because once the fangs are moved now the venom can flow and so what happens is uh, if a viper bites you uh, you get the bite and the venom at the same time okay um, um, and so and so I'm, I'm still doing all this research 
and, and I found out, I found out this. Um, I found out that vipers don't have eyes. Yeah, th- th- there's a there's a there's a particular viper uh, that they refer to um, as as the as the as the pit viper, and they don't have eyes. They don't have eyes. Uh, they, they only have pits on each side of their head. I'm, I'm reading this. I'm not making this up. Go Google it. Um, they have pits on, on each side of their head. They don't really have eyes. And, and what those pits are, um, those pits actually function as infrared lights. And, and, and so they're not, they're not eyes. They're actually uh, heat seekers. And they're, they're actually um, built-in night vision goggles. Okay? Okay? Now, um, um, now if, if nothing else... This should at least make you amazed of the complexity of our God to create a being that, that is so uniquely designed. Um, but, but there are few things in this world that I'm afraid of, and snakes is one of them. So as unique as this being is, I don't need to see firsthand for myself. But, but, but I'm, I still got to learn what's going on because I got to figure out what's happening in this text. So the pit viper... Uh, doesn't have eyes, it has pits, and those pits function uh, as infrared heat-seeking night vision goggles. So they actually see better at night time, and, 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 and get this, uh, when they get ready to attack, they attack at night because they can actually see more of what's going on at night time. Okay? Now, now, here's, here's the, y- y'all thought that was something, here's the amazing part about these pit vipers. Scientists are doing research on pit vipers, and the conclusion that they have come up with is this. That the the pits are not only infrared night vision heat-seeking goggles, but what happens is uh, uh, when when the pit um, catches a glimpse of heat, uh, it triggers something in the viper's brain that says, that's prey. It, it, it triggers an attack mechanism in their brain when, they, when, 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 the, when the heat-seeking night vision infrared goggles kick on. It triggers something in their brain that says, attack, because that's prey. Okay. Okay. So, 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 when I went back to the text with that information, I went back to the text and now I understand that the fire was already in place, but, but, but it wasn't enough to trigger in the viper's brain that's prey. It, it, it wasn't until Paul gets close enough to lay his, his sticks down that it triggers in the viper's brain that's prey. Okay, okay, now, now. Here's my problem. Natives, y'all showing unusual kindness. Why didn't you tell me about the vipers out here? You mean tell me nobody said, hey, be careful out here at nighttime. The snakes come out at night. Paul, Paul goes and, 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 and he lays his sticks down and something triggers in the viper's brain that says, that's pray. And, and he attaches himself, the Bible says that, 
he attaches himself to Paul's hand. Um, do you realize that many times, uh, many times um, the enemy uh, will not try to barricade you? Um, the enemy will, will not try to I-465 you and, 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 and block you off. Sometimes the enemy uh, just wants to attach itself to you. Because if the enemy attaches itself to you, you inevitably take the enemy wherever you go. Because, because here's what messed me up. I told y'all that the viper releases venom with the bite. So there's no need for the viper to stay attached. All the viper has to do is bite and wait until the prey dies and it's dinner time. Why in the world is the viper attached to Paul? Because the viper was not looking. The viper was not looking to take Paul out. The, vi the viper was looking for Paul to take him out. I'm, no, 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 no. I'm talking about. I'm, 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 I'm talking about. Uh, 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 you, you know, um, the person that that you really shouldn't be dealing with, but but they've attached themselves to you because they like the way it looks when I take you out. Okay, okay, y'all, not getting it. Y'all not getting it. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about. I'm talking about while, while you at work. I'm talking about while you at work. I'm talking about while you at work. And, and, and you work harder than anybody in your department, but somehow you keep getting overlooked for the promotion because because I, I really don't I really don't have your well-being in mind. I just need to be attached to you because you work so hard that you make me look good when you work hard. So so I don't I don't. Okay, y'all still y'all still y'all still not with me. Um, uh, sometimes the enemy doesn't 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 need the Bible says that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Uh, but but the enemy is more strategic than that. Uh, everything is not all about the right now. The enemy is trying to play the long game. The enemy is, is looking towards the end, and so sometimes the enemy needs to attach himself to you uh, so that you can take him uh, into a room where he can now uh, make the entire room. Okay, y'all don't like it. Okay. Okay. Point number one, you, you got to shake it off when opposers attack. Let me keep it moving. I don't got much time. Uh, you got to shake it off when opposers attack. But here it is, number two, you have to shake it off when onlookers assume. Okay. Um, when opposers attack, you got to shake it off. You got to shake it off. Paul said, I, I, I had to shake him off. He tried to attach himself to me, and I shook him off into the, into the fire. I, he tried to attach himself to me. And, 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 and the very, the very thing that, that he came out of, the very thing that, that he was hiding in, I, I had to shake him off right back into where he came from. Okay, y'all not, y'all not getting it. I have to shake it off when opposers attack, but I got to shake it off when onlookers assume. Keep moving down to verse four. That was verse three. Keep moving down to verse four. Verse four says this. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand. They said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. Okay, now here's the thing. 
um, the natives believed that Paul was a murderer. He said, you know what? We might be heathens out here, but we know punishment when we see it. He had to have done something to get bit by that viper. And because his punishment is death, he must have been a murderer. That's what they said. That's what they said about Paul. The writer of two-thirds of the New Testament. That's what they said about Paul. An apostle after his own time. That's what they said about Paul. The one who gave us instruction for the modern day 21st century church. That's what they said about Paul. Let me mess you up one time for the hood. They was right. Because Paul was a murderer. And Paul wasn't just any murderer. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Ain't it crazy that some heathens got more spiritual discernment than some of us? That's what they said about him. They know nothing about Paul. They never seen Paul. They never heard of Paul. They ain't got no cousins named Paul. That's what they said about him. And they was right. But here's what they didn't know. They didn't know the power of the God that Paul served. They didn't realize that even though I'm in the same body, I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. They, 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 didn't, they didn't realize that even though I look the same, that was actually Saul who was a persecutor of Christians. But when I came in contact with a man named Jesus, he not only changed my life, but he changed my name. So don't call me what you used to call me because I'm not what I used to be. I used to be a murderer and a persecutor of Christians. Now I'm the greatest theologian that the world has ever seen. I used to be a murderer and a persecutor of Christians. Now I'm going to be your bridge to Christ. And your life onlookers will assume something about you. And although it might be true, they're only wanting to acknowledge what you used to be. But they don't know that a transformation has taken place. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So even though I look the same in my mind, there's been a transformation. And don't call me what you used to call me. Because I'm not what I used to be. So you got to shake it off when the onlookers assume. uh, Because even though they might be right, uh, I'm not what I used to be. Um, uh, Paul's name got changed. and, And his past was forgiven and some of us ought to be excited because although our name didn't get changed on our birth certificate our name got changed in heaven y'all gonna act like y'all ain't never been nowhere like y'all ain't never done nothing somebody used to call you a cheater but now they call you faithful okay somebody used to call you a hypocrite but now they say you have integrity 
Okay, somebody used to call you a liar, but now they call you a speaker of truth. Some, okay, somebody used to call you promiscuous, but now they call you uh, the wife to one husband. Y'all, y'all not really understanding what I'm saying. Uh, he changed my name. And he forgave my past. So, so don't assume based off of what you think you know about me. You don't know what it took for me to get here this morning. So when I grew up in church my whole life, I asked the church some questions and they couldn't answer. And I had to go find my way in the world. But God brought me back to him. Don't. The songwriter said, you don't know my story and all the things that I've been through. You can't feel my pain and what I had to go through to get here. You'll never understand my praise. Don't try to figure it out. All you need to know is that my worship is for real. So he changes, he changes Paul's name and forgive his past. But the natives, they don't understand that. They don't know. They don't know Paul's history. They don't know his pedigree. Uh, but, 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 but here's where I had a problem. Because it made sense for the natives to feel this way about Paul. It made sense. They, they were just going based off of what they knew. And it made sense for them to make these types of assumptions. My problem is... Uh, the people that Paul just saved from shipwreck. The people that Paul just shared the gospel with and told him, if you just stick close to me, I'll get you to Jesus. The same people that was losing the stuff and throwing over the stuff that was important to them until Paul stepped in and said, listen, God uh, uh, does not desire that any one of us should perish, but that we all come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, don't, don't throw away what's important because of what your circumstances look like. Paul just got off the boat with them. And the Bible doesn't record that not one of them speak up for Paul. The same people that Paul was there for. Not one of them spoke up. The same people that Paul loaned money to. Not one of them spoke up. The same people, the, the, the same people that Paul was late getting to work because he was taking you to work because your car was down. Not one of them spoke up. The, 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 the same people that Paul had to share his food with, even though he didn't know where his next meal was coming from. The, the, none of them. Spoke up. The, the same people that Paul counseled, even though he was going through his own storm, not one of them spoke up. Not one. Not one of them spoke up. It makes sense for somebody who don't know me to think something about me. But what happens when the people close to me? What, what, what happens when the people who should have my back sit silent in the middle of my persecution? You want to know what Paul told me to tell you about those people? Shake them off too. Got to shake off when opposers attack. Got to shake off when the onlookers assume. That's the last thing I got for you. You have to shake it off because 
Overcomers are just. Overcomers are just. Verse 5, keep going down to verse 5. Verse 5 says this. But he shook off the creature into the fire and he suffered no harm. Bible says that not only does a vapor, viper come out of nowhere and attach himself to Paul. Not only do, do, do people who don't even know him make assumptions about him. And not only do people who do know him not come to his aid. But he still shakes it off. Because overcomers, overcomers are just. And they don't get caught up into what it looks like. And to Paul's point, they don't even get caught up into what it feels like. I got to shake it off because I'm an overcomer. And overcomers adjust. Paul, Paul didn't get bit. And sit around crying, asking, why has this happened to me? All the people that were around this fire and the viper only attaches itself to me. Every time I take two steps forward, I got to take three steps back. Why me? Paul says, I can't get caught up into this. I got stuff to do. The the, the call of, of God on my life is too strong for me to be worrying about something that I can just shake off. And the problem with some of us is we spend so much time crying and complaining about why it has to be us that we can't do what we've been called to do when God has already given us the power to shake it off. Right. Um, Paul didn't Paul didn't worry about Paul didn't worry about uh, what it looked like. He didn't worry about what it felt like. Um. He was able to shake off the attack. He doesn't even acknowledge the pain. Um, and that's, that's not just Paul. That's a, that's a spiritual principle. Even James. James writes in James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Sometimes, sometimes you just got to shake the devil off. Just don't even pay him no attention. You've given the devil too much attention. You've given him too much power. You've given him too much acknowledgement. Sometimes you just got to shake him off and keep on moving. Sometimes you can't. Listen, there are times when you got to rebuke the devil and you got to tell him that you function under the power of Jesus Christ and you got to tell him to move out of your way and you got to tell him that he can't have your family. You have to tell him that he can't have your marriage. You have to tell him that he can't have your finances. But then there are some times where you just got to use some discernment and say, I'm not even going to give you the time of day. What you're trying to do to me is not even important right now because I have a goal given to me by God. And if I pay too much attention to you, then I'll be distracted from what I'm really supposed to be doing. So he doesn't even even acknowledge it. So then, as I'm reading the text, and the text says that Paul shakes off the, the viper and he shakes the viper into the fire. I started wondering if Paul really knew what he was doing in that moment. Because we refer to him as the Apostle Paul. An apostle means that he had a face-to-face, one-on-one, real encounter with Jesus Christ himself. Not an image of Christ. Not, not, Not just the voice of Christ. But a one-on-one encounter 
with Jesus himself. So we know Paul to be an apostle. But I, I, I wonder if Paul knew that in this moment, he was stepping out of the realm of apostle and stepping into the realm of prophet. I, I, wonder, I wonder if he knew that, that, that Paul was foreseeing the inevitable future. I wonder if he knew. Y'all looking at me crazy, so maybe Paul didn't know because y'all don't know. Um, I wonder if Paul knew what was really happening. Um, I want you to write this down real quick. I want you to write this down. Revelations chapter 20, verses 12 through 14. Write that down, Revelations 20, 12 through 14. This is what it says in Revelations 20, 12 through 14. Uh, this is a foretelling of end times. And it says... And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. It says the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead. Who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire as a second death. Okay, y'all don't get it? Y'all don't get it. There's a serpent that attaches himself to Paul, there's a viper that attaches himself to Paul. Paul is a man of God. The man of God shakes the viper off and throws the viper into the fire. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14 says, Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And that was the second death. Okay, y'all still don't get it. I just need one person to follow me. There's a serpent, there's a viper that attaches himself to Paul. Maybe y'all confused because this is Acts 28. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Or uh, Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. In the Garden of Eden, there's a serpent that has a conversation with Eve. And causes the fall of man. Fast forward, Acts chapter 28. There's a serpent who attaches himself to a man of God. Genesis chapter 3. The serpent succeeds and causes the fall of man. Acts chapter 28, the serpent is thrown into the fire. Revelation chapter 20 verse 14 says, hell in the grave is thrown into the lake of fire. Here's where y'all confused. Y'all thought hell was the lake of fire. Y'all thought going to hell meant that I immediately go in, in, into a fiery grave. Y'all thought that everybody who was unsaved would go to hell and go to a fiery grave. That, that's what y'all thought. But the Bible says that they don't go to a fiery grave until the second death. So what's the first death? The first death is eternal separation from God. Okay? Okay? Now, now, everyone who has been eternally separated from God 
and the place where they have been held, which is hell, will all be thrown into the lake of fire, and there they will burn for eternity. Okay. All right. So now, now that you know that, Genesis chapter 3, a serpent comes to have a conversation with Adam and Eve and succeeds and causes the fall of man. Acts chapter 28, a serpent comes and attaches itself to the man of God. The man of God said, you already tricked me once. I'm not going to let you trick me again. Let me shake you off and throw you back into the fire. Okay. All right. Revelation chapter 20. It ain't happened yet. It's still to this day. Ain't happened yet. Hell is thrown into the lake of fire. I wonder if Paul knew that this was a foreshadow of what was going to happen when Revelation chapter 20 verse 14 comes to pass. I, I, I wonder if he knew he was stepping outside of apostle and into prophet to give us a visual of what God has in store. I, I, I wonder if he knew. Here's a better question. Um, I wonder if the enemy knew that he was already as good as dead. Because James right, John, John writes in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, the hell is going to be thrown in the lake of fire. Here's what I want you to know about the enemy. The reason why the enemy wants to attach itself to you, it's not for any benefit of its own. The enemy knows he's already as good as dead. But what the enemy wants to do is take you with him. Yeah, 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 yeah. The enemy, the enemy wants to attach himself to you to get you distracted so that you go down the same path that he already knows there's no way of escaping. Okay. Um, so, so Paul gives a prophetic image. What's going to happen in Revelation? The enemy is thrown into the lake of fire. Now, uh, here's the end of it. It's all I got for you. Uh, it's all I got. Um, you got to shake off when opposers attack. You got to shake off when onlookers assume. And then you got to shake off because overcomers are just. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this. However. See, 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 I could have, I could have, I could have made this work to where uh, uh, when overcomers adjust would be, would be your shouting moment. I, I could have made that the climactic point of the message. And, 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 and we could have talked about how, how we are overcomers and how we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. And that gets us real excited. It's true. It's true. I promise you it's true. And, and I could have made that uh, the climactic point of the message. Uh, but that's not the climactic point of the message. Um, I need you to go down to verse 6. I need you to look at verse 6 because verse 6 starts off with however, which means God is not done yet. Verse 6 starts off with however, which means God has, he, he still has more. Verse 6 starts off with however, which means the story has not yet concluded. Verse 6 starts off with however. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall dead. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, okay. um, but after they had looked for a long time, okay, uh, 
They looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him. And, and, and they changed their minds about him. And they said that he was a God. All right, y'all didn't get it. Let me read it to you one more time. It says, however, they were expecting. They were expecting. They, you, you remember they, the they you never met, the day, the day. Ain't nobody ever met they, but they always expect something. They always waiting to see something. They always got something to say. Ain't nobody ever met they, but they were expecting that he would fall dead. Do you know that there's some people in your life that have attached themselves to you not to go anywhere, not to succeed at anything, uh, not to give you encouragement for anything, but they have attached themselves to you because they're waiting on you to fall dead. They, they, they're just waiting to be able to tell you, see, you spent all that time in church and where's your God now? See, you spent all that time praying. Uh, where's your God now? They're just waiting on you to swell up and fall dead. Uh, but the Bible says that after they look for a long time. So somebody, so somebody right now, somebody right now ought, ought to pull out their phone and go right to social media and, and just make a status that say, keep on watching. Because the Bible says, the Bible says that they're going to watch for a long time. So that, 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 that means you got to see God bring me out over and over and over again. The Bible says that they watch for a long time. That means that you got to watch God move in my life. Day in and day out. The Bible says that they watch for a long time. So that means that you got to watch the goodness of God while you sit in there in jealousy. The Bible says that they watch for a long time. Okay, okay y'all didn't get it. Y'all didn't like that. That wasn't good enough for you. Let's keep going. Uh, the Bible says that after they looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, that they changed their minds. Okay, it says they changed their minds. Do you realize that sometimes God will allow you to go through some stuff just so he can bring you out of some stuff just to change the minds of the people who've been watching for a long time. You are worried about your circumstances and God is just saying, I let you go through it just so that I can change somebody's mind who's been watching. Y'all ain't got it for a long time. They've been waiting on you to fail. But the problem is God said, if you fail, then that means I failed. So I can't let you fail because you've been worshiping me. I can't let you fail because you've been trusting me. So if you fail, then I fail. So I can't let you fail. So I got to bring you out just to change the minds of the people who've been watching for a long time. Okay, y'all still not getting this thing. Um, then it says after they changed their minds about him, they went from thinking he was a murderer to thinking he was a god. Okay, y'all, y'all, listen, I, I very rarely sweat, but y'all making me work real hard right now. The Bible says, Acts chapter 28, verse 6, at the end of the verse, it says that they changed their minds and they thought that he was a murderer, but now they think he's a God. Okay. Um, I, th- I, th- I thought I thought I married that that was going to be the climactic part of the sermon. I, I, I really thought I thought that that was going to be what tears the house down because because I thought that y'all would get excited when the Bible says that they thought he was a murderer being punished. But then they changed their minds and thought he was a God. I, I thought I thought y'all was going to be excited about that. I thought y'all was going to be excited because there's been some people watching y'all for a long time. There's been some people watching y'all for a long time. And there's been some people watching y'all for a long time. And those people that have been watching for a long time are beginning to change their minds about you. But you ought to be excited because... 
because you ought to be able to tell them, don't get it twisted, boo-boo. Don't get your mind changed about me because I'm not a God. Really, what it is that you see is the God in me. Shake it off. Stand to your feet in the sanctuary. Give God some praise. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet in the sanctuary. As we get ready to go to God in prayer. We, we, we need to go to God in prayer because there's some things that we've allowed to stay attached to us. God told me to tell you that today is the day when you shake it off. There's some things that have been attached to you for too long. And if you leave with them still on you, that's by your own choice because today is the day that you shake it off. Depression, you got to get off of me. Insecurities, you got to get off of me. Doubt, you got to get off of me. Procrastination, get off of me. 
Complacency, get off of me. Unforgiveness, get off of me. You ain't got to go home, but you got to get off of me today. So right now in the sanctuary, everybody who's able, make your way to the altar. Come on and make your way. Come on, make room. Y'all move up. to be, mm, I don't know if I want to use the term finishing up or uh, at at the very least um, pausing uh, our Ways of God series um, after tonight. Um, We're going to do something special next week for Bible study, so uh, make sure you come in for that. I ain't going to tell y'all what it is until y'all get here. All right. Um, so we'll go, uh, we'll go ahead into, uh, the ways of God are sovereign part four. Uh, and although I think the entire series, uh, helps us to get, you know, an understanding on the ways of God, uh, this particular lesson is one of the, um, most relevant to me personally, uh, because, uh, it talks about, um, God being sovereign over our circumstances. And so uh, since it seems like every other day uh, there's a new circumstance going on, you know, just in life in general, uh, some worse than others, uh, some good, some bad, but there's always at least something going on. So uh, to know that whether good or bad, uh, good, bad, worst, whatever it is, uh, God is sovereign over all of those circumstances. So um, I'm excited about this lesson. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into it. Um, opening statement, of course, God is sovereign over our circumstances. Uh, and then the scripture comes from Joshua chapter one, verse nine it says, I have not come, uh, I'm sorry. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord. Your God is with you wherever you go. Um, so just a word of encouragement that like, regardless of, you know, where you find yourself, uh, in the different areas of life, um, there's nowhere that we go that God is not with us. Uh, so as long as we know that, then we can rest on the fact that, you know, he's in control. Uh, so let's look at a few things um, as far as uh, God being sovereign in our circumstances. And 
uh, this lesson is going to um, be uh, very, very uh, indirect or very directly uh, based around peace as well. Um, because a lot of the times the circumstances that we face uh, or at least aspects of the circumstances are oftentimes out of our control. So what happens? How do we deal with that? How, and some of us need to have control, right? So how do we deal with the, the idea that I'm going through something that, you know, I may be able to control certain aspects, but the overall, uh, I, I don't have control over it. And what God will do is um, God will give you peace in those circumstances. And so uh, what, what will happen is that peace will will sort of keep you grounded uh, where um, uh, Paul writes in scripture, uh, whether a base or a bound, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. So uh, basically he's saying I, I've learned to live with an abundance and I've learned to live with nothing. But regardless of what situation I'm in, whatever side of the spectrum I'm on or in between, you know, I've learned to be content because I know regardless of it, God is still in control. Uh, so we'll be focusing a lot on peace because that is, uh, in many cases, how uh, the the tool that God gives us to be able to get through uh, life's life circumstances. So um, God gives peace in our circumstances, uh, and we'll be looking at Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven. Somebody read that for me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends your <coughs> understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so the scripture says, don't be anxious for anything. Don't get worked up about anything. But through prayer and petition, or some translations say supplication, uh, but basically through prayer and just making your request known to God. And then it says, with thanksgiving, right? So here's, here's one of the keys to praying through a circumstance. In the same prayer that you're making a request, also give thanks. So a lot of times we wait to give thanks like we 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 make we give the prayer and we ask for the stuff and then we wait and to see if God provides it or we wait until God provides it. And then we give a separate prayer for Thanksgiving. Uh, But Paul is encouraging us to actually within the same prayer, the same prayer that you make your request known in, start to give him thanks in that same prayer. Because you believe God for what you're asking for. Right? So that's that that that's a side note. Uh that is that is a key to praying through circumstances. Now, um here's your your first feelings uh because when we get down to verse 7 in Philippians 4 it says God will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. Right? So Basically, what that means is uh, it it is self-explanatory, but essentially what it is, is it's not going to make sense. So uh, meaning whatever your situation is, 
it would be very logical for you to be upset. It would be very logical for you to be frustrated. It would be very logical for you to be worried. It would be very logical for you to be hurt. All of these things would be legitimate uh, mindsets and emotions to have. But what will happen is God will give you a peace that makes you okay in those situations. And, and, and I'll say people won't get it, but you're a part of people. Sometimes you won't even get it. Like sometimes you'll look at your own circumstance and you, you will tell yourself like, I feel like I should be worried, but I'm not. Like, I, I feel like I should be concerned, but I'm really not. That is, that is the peace that passes understanding. So, so you won't get it. You won't, be able to, you won't be able to make sense of it. But that's what's happening. And so uh, in, order, in order to get that peace, y'all know I teach all the time, uh, in order to qualify for a miracle, you need an impossible situation. Well, the same types of things apply with peace. Uh, so your first feeling is this uh, indescribable peace requires indescribable circumstances. Indescribable peace requires indescribable circumstances. So here's your key. In order to get the peace that Paul was talking about, in order to get a peace that passes all understanding, you have to go through things that you don't understand. Does that make sense? So, so just like, just like how we talk about, uh, just like how we talk about, you know, uh, like, like people will, people say that they want to see God in a particular way. Okay, um, but the reality is, if you don't go through a certain uh, type of circumstances, um, if you don't go through a certain type of circumstances, you'll never be able to see God in that way, right? So somebody gives a testimony. Hey, I know God is a healer. I know if He healed me, He can heal you. And in your mind, you're like, dang, I'll be dope to experience that. Not thinking that in order to experience that, you then have to experience sickness. Hey. I know God is a provider. I was down to nothing and he made a way for me and blah, 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 blah. And all of that is true. When I say blah, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, belittling it. But I'm saying like we say all of these things and then we say we want to experience the same. We want to experience God as a provider. Well, sometimes in order to experience that, he has to take you down to nothing. We want to experience God as a protector. Sometimes you got to be in some dangerous situations. How will you experience God in a way that you're not willing uh, to go through the circumstance to require that? So if you want a peace that surpasses all understanding, you have to understand that you need circumstances that you don't understand. Okay. Y'all with me? Makes sense. Okay. All right. So, uh, God will give you the peace. He'll give you the peace, but you get the circumstances first. Okay. Now, now I want to talk about, I want to transition just a little bit and talk about specifically what peace is. Because peace is this, this abstract intangible that... The Bible already said when God gives it to you, it, it surpasses all understanding. So if I don't understand it, I definitely can't explain it. 
So what is it? How do I describe it? So I want to go and I want to start looking at some of these things. Uh, so first, we're going to look at three items uh, that describe what peace is not. Okay. Um, first thing, peace is not avoiding storms. Peace is not avoiding storms. Now, that's your fill-in because many people get it mixed up. Many people think that being under the or, or being wrapped in the hands and the arms of God uh, prevents storms from coming. Many people think that uh, being, being a child of God and being a follower of Christ prevents storms from coming. And in all actuality, that is actually the opposite. Okay, um, so uh, uh, peace is not avoiding storms. Essentially, peace is uh, being okay when the storms come. So, so when there's a storm and you don't have any panic in you, that's peace. When there's a storm and you don't have any worry in you, that's peace. When there's a storm and even when you know you're not prepared... <coughs> But you don't have a concern. That's peace. So let's look real quick at Mark chapter four, verses 37 through 39. Mark chapter four, 37 through 39. Somebody read it for me once you got it. And there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the stern part of the ship asleep on a pillow and they awoke him and said unto him, Teacher, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Okay. Now, I want to lift up a couple of points in, in just those few passages of Scripture. Number one, the first thing is, it says that they go into the storm and that the storm got so bad that the boat filled with water. Now, it's funny because they run down to Jesus and their statement to Jesus is, don't you care that we're about to die? Well, here's my issue. Why'd you wait until the boat was filled with water before you go to Jesus? How long were you in the storm that you allowed it to just keep coming and keep coming and fill up the boat before you go to Jesus? Now, what would happen, and I'm not talking about in this situation, I'm talking about holding ourselves accountable, looking at our individual lives. What would happen if you went to Jesus before you hit the water versus after the storm comes? Because see, here's the thing. You got to remember, three of Jesus' disciples are fishermen by trade. They understand the possibility and the likelihood of storms coming. They take Jesus on the boat with them, which is a positive. But they never address the fact that, hey, Jesus, some storms might come out here. We don't know. We don't know if they're coming. But we just want to make sure that we're prepared for when they do come. But because they go to Jesus late, because they wait until the boat is filled, because they wait until you get the disconnect notice. 
Because they wait until the doctor say there's nothing else we can do. Because they wait until now it's time to amputate a limb. Because they wait until now the divorce papers are already drawn up. Because they wait until the boat is full. Now they come down in a panic. Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus has been down there the whole time. Now, when we look at that, we can take that situation and say, one of the things we can learn from that is uh, the boat was filled, but it hadn't sunk. Okay, so there's still a chance. So they go down, they go down to Jesus in a panic and Jesus is down there asleep. The Bible says Jesus is asleep on a pillow, which means Jesus was getting intentional sleep. This wasn't just I dozed off watching TV like Jesus planned on going to sleep. Jesus is down there chilling while the storm is happening. And I believe that Jesus is setting an example and saying that saying to us that as long as I'm here with you, as long as I'm on the boat, as long as I'm chilling, you chilling. So so now now we look at this situation and and when we take. The, 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 the point in the outline that, that peace is not avoiding storms, but being okay in them, if we follow Jesus' lead and understand that nothing that comes against us catches him off guard, nothing that comes against us is, is more powerful than him, nothing that comes against us is anything that he can't handle, then, then Jesus will step out and create a calm or peace right in the middle of it. Is it also an example of them um, leaning on their own understanding of the sea and the ocean and not coming to him beforehand? Like, <clears throat> Absolutely, because like I said, three of them were fishermen. So it's very likely that the storm comes, oh, we've seen storms before, we know how to handle this, we know what we're doing, Jesus is a carpenter, we fishermen, we got this. Very, very possible, because a lot of times we, we do that. Uh, man, I done, I done seen something like this before. I know how to handle this. I can, I can get myself out of it. And then we look up. It, it seemed like one, like split seconds apart. Like one second we saying I got this, and the next second we don't even know how we got here. So, yes, it is very likely that they were leaning on their own understanding. If chances are... Chances are, if nobody on the boat had experience, that everybody on the boat would have went to Jesus as soon as, as soon as the storm hit. So, but again, the text teaches us that that God will grant you peace in the storm. He doesn't uh, navigate you around them. Okay. Now, uh, so peace is not avoiding storms. Peace is not, and these are just examples. Peace is not having a uh, having great family and friends. That's your fill in. Peace is not having great family and friends. And we're gonna look at Job thirteen fifteen to prove this point. But peace is actually being okay when you have seemingly no one else. (laughs) 
So let's look at Job 13, 15. Read that once you got it, and then we'll talk about that. Though he slay me, I will hope in him, yet I will argue my ways to his face. Now, Job is saying, even though uh, things have come against me, even though things are attacking me, and in Job's situation, it wasn't just him. It was his entire family. It was his livelihood. It was his businesses. It was his, his uh, property. It was his children. It was his wife. The attack was coming on every end. And Job is saying, it, regardless of all of that, I'm still going to trust you. And he's talking to God. I'm still going to trust you. Even though his friends and his wife, listen, I don't know what you done done to make God mad, but whatever you done done, just tell him to take you up out of here because it's not worth you sticking around dealing with all of this. Can't understand it. This is an undescribable circumstance. I don't even understand how you just don't take yourself up out of here. All the stuff you're going through, I, I don't get it. And Job says, even though all of this is happening, I'm going to trust God because God has given a peace that's past all understanding. Right. And so what will happen is, again, in order to get something from God, we have to be uh, in the right position. So in order for God uh, or in order for Job to see God as a comforter, in order for God, uh, Job to see God as a companion, in order for Job uh, to see God as an encourager, all of these things, in order for Job to experience God in these ways, Job has to go through these circumstances. Now, now Job's family and friends are encouraging him to go against God. The people that, that he would naturally go to to lean on for support are telling him to go against God. So peace can't be uh, predicated around who's around you. Because if the people around you don't understand your circumstances and the people around you get this, don't understand your relationship with God, then they then can't give you anything that's going to benefit you in this situation. Amen. So, and, 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 in some, and in some realities, it's necessary for God to, uh, to distance you from the people that you would normally lean on because God never wants you to get so comfortable with leaning on them that you forget about him. So there's going to be some circumstances in your life where people are, um, are unavailable. And it's not because they, it's not because they're fake. It's not because they're, they're jealous. It's not because they're not real. It's not because they, it's not because they're selfish. It's because circumstances have, uh, have been navigated that they're not available to you because if they were, you would go to them before you went to God. So, so sometimes it's God that's limiting their availability for your sake, for the strengthening of your relationship with him. So we have to be careful even with how we deal with the people around us uh, and, and not be too hard on them. Right? Not, not be too hard on them because it's very easy, myself included, it's very easy for us to hit Hit you with the, when I was there for you, when, I, when it was you, I was there. Now that I'm in need, you ain't there. And, and it's very easy for us to get caught up into that. But there's sometimes where God makes uh, people unavailable to you 
because he doesn't want anyone else to have your attention. He doesn't want anyone else to get the credit for what he's about to do. He doesn't want any confusion about where the blessings are coming from. He doesn't want any misunderstandings when the testimony comes of who provided what and who navigated what. Sometimes God has to isolate you just so that he's your only option. So it, it, when we go back to the idea of peace, uh, when, when God, when God uh, being sovereign over our circumstances and has navigated other people's circumstances to be uh, a limited availability to us, that peace comes in because it's like even when I have no one else, even when no one else is available, David wrote it like this, even when my mother and father forsake me. I, I know that, that you're here. So peace is not having this great uh, family and friends situation where there's always somebody there for you and there's always somebody to do for you. Peace is that I'm okay even when y'all not here. Does that make sense? We good? Everybody good? All right. Um, let's keep moving. Peace is not... Peace is not... Avoiding pain and sickness. Peace is not avoiding pain and sickness. And we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. Somebody read it once you got it. Now, this is what you got to understand. Um, nobody really knows what the thorn in Paul's flesh was. Um, as a matter of fact, the, uh, the figure of speech, pain in my side, this person is pain in my side, comes from this story. Nobody really knows what the thorn in his flesh was. Nobody knows if this is a physical ailment. Uh, if, if Paul was, was, was speaking figure of speech and saying a pain in my side, but it was really a mental or emotional condition, nobody really knows. And uh, just as a side note, personally, I'm glad that it doesn't specify. Because since it doesn't specify... To me, it can apply to whatever. So, so there's that whatever, whatever it was Paul was dealing with, he prayed, sincerely prayed to God three times, please take this away from me. Get this, if you read previous uh, to verse 8, you'll find out Paul describes it as a messenger of Satan. God, and he says, God delivered me a messenger from Satan. That became a pain in my side. And I asked God three times to take it away. But then Paul described, Paul also in that same sentence describes, he sent me a messenger from Satan so that I wouldn't get too ahead of myself. So that I wouldn't become arrogant. So that I wouldn't become boastful. I'll always have, whatever this infirmity is. I'll always have it as something that people can call out to bring me, chop me back down if I get too high. Mm 
I always have this thing that in the back of my mind, I know regardless of how many books I write, regardless of how many churches I plant, I always have this thing that lets me know I'm not any better than anyone else. Right? So you have that. Then you have a situation where, like I said, he prays three times for God to remove it. The third time God says, uh, let me go back. He prays three times for God to remove it. And the Bible doesn't say uh, that Paul receives an answer until after the third time. That situation in and of itself requires a level of peace. To be praying for God for something and not get an answer or to keep getting a no. After, after you've seen him do it for people close to you, he keeps telling you no. That in and of itself requires a peace. I, I know that I know that I've told y'all before, uh, when me when me and my wife first got together uh, and got married and everything, uh, our understanding was that she wouldn't be able to have kids. And then she goes to a doctor for an annual, che- uh, annual checkup. The doctor says the the issue that was preventing you from having children, I don't see it anymore. Wow. Well, it is wow, but then it's like, well, why she ain't getting pregnant? Mm-hmm. Not only is she not getting pregnant, everybody around us is getting pregnant. Like, everybody. Like, even people who didn't even want kids was getting pre- Like, everybody around us is getting pregnant. All the people that we know is going to be, everything that we know about them tells us they're probably going to be terrible parents. Everybody's getting pregnant. Just everybody. We, I mean, and we spending money we don't got trying to figure out what is happening. We praying and God just keep telling us no. But there came a point where we just, there was a peace that was given to us that was like, you know what? The doctors are saying they don't see anything preventing it from happening. It's not happening. Ain't nothing we can do about it. Whenever the time comes, if God changes his mind or, or, or whenever the right time happens, whatever, however you want to look at it, either it's going to happen or it's not. Like, ain't, there's literally nothing else that we can do. And we, and we just had to be okay with that. And it wasn't even a month later, she goes back again for another annual checkup. Y'all, ladies, y'all know the routine for the annual checkup. She's getting her clothes off to put her little gown thing on. And they run back in the room, tell her, don't get undressed. We can't do your exam. She's like, why not? What's wrong? And they're like, you're pregnant. <laughs> as, like literally as soon as we stopped concerning ourselves with it, as soon as we stop worrying about it, and as soon as we just begin to trust God, and, not, and and get this, after that peace happened, we didn't even ask about it anymore. Like, to be honest with you, it wasn't even a part of our prayers anymore. It was just like, listen, either God going to do it or he's not. And we were okay with that. And so, after we got that piece of peace, <laughs> it was almost like a light switch. And, and everything changed. And so I bring that up to say that much like Paul, um, you, you, you can be in circumstances where 
you're praying and asking God for something and he's either silent or he's giving you an answer that you don't like. <laughs> but he'll give you peace in that. And what Paul comes to realize is uh, God explains to him, listen, uh, the reason why I'm keeping that there for you is because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So here's the thing. Um, again, I'm a, I'm a visual person. Uh, if, if, if you if you are physically weak and, and somebody sees you, uh, uh, this is an extreme, but if you're physically weak and you sick and you weak and somebody sees you lift a car, who else you going to give credit to? So, so what God is saying is, as long as I keep you in these circumstances, then I make myself available to be what you need in those circumstances. Which means my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So the areas where you lack is where I come in. So now, now not only do you have this amazing testimony, not only have you uh, had this amazing experience, but now there is no confusion as to how. So again, it's not avoiding these things. And, and I say this all the time. Um, a lot of times... A lot of times when we look at sickness specifically, we only uh, we only categorize miracles as uh, being completely healed. So 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 uh, even in our own story, uh, I said our, our understanding was that she couldn't have kids. We go to the doctor. They say the thing that was blocking it. We no longer see it. You say, wow, that's a miracle. How about this? How about if that thing was still there and she, had and she has a baby? That's is that not a miracle? It is. She's not been healed. But the baby is there. People living 20 and 30 and 40 years with cancer? No, God didn't take it away. But you've been in stage four for as long as I've been alive. How? Because his... Because his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Every time when you go to the doctor and they're like, you, you, well, I, I would say you got six months, but I've been saying that for six years. That, that's just as much of a miracle. And so what we have to understand is, again, peace is not avoiding these situations. And in many cases, peace is not being completely removed from the situation. Peace is understanding that God is still in control. And because he's in control, I'm okay. All right, y'all with me? All right, let's keep moving. Um, so we talked about what peace is not. Peace is not avoiding storms. Peace is not uh, having a great family and friends uh, system. Peace is not avoiding pain and sickness. But peace is, get this, peace is the godly solution to a worldly problem. Peace is the godly solution to a worldly problem. Let's look at John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you may find me a hat. That in me ye might have peace in the world, ye should ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
Now, basically, John is saying, listen, John is, is writing this. Uh, God is saying, um, I'm giving you a peace because uh, you, you're, you live in a world where you are going to face trials and tribulations. There's no way to avoid it. And on top of that, because this is the case even for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. There's, there's no way to avoid issues in life. Then you add on the fact that because you're a Christian, you're going to face some stuff just because you're a Christian. So you got to face the regular life stuff and face some stuff just because you follow Christ. So God is saying, listen, the, uh, some of this stuff you're going to face in life, there's no way to get around it. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing you can do about it. In this world, this is what you're going to get. But he says, I grant you peace. I give you peace because even though you have to face it in this world, I've overcome this world so you have nothing to worry about. If, if you're facing the problems of this world, but you are a child of the creator of this world, you have nothing to worry about. So, so this, this now, um, this also, also uh, can further explain Paul's thought when he says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because what happens is um, you have to live in the world, right? But you can't let it, you can't allow the world to make you conform to it. Because if you conform to it, you're conforming to just another creation. When in all actuality, your relationship with the creator should change your mind about anything that happens on the creation. Get this. As a matter of fact, we... We are creations of God. The world is a creation of God. But in creation, we're the only thing that God actually put his hand on. Mm -hmm. Amen. All things were not created equal. You go, go in Genesis chapter 1 and read the story of creation and God speaks everything into existence except you. And he decided, he decided to put his hands on you and to mold you and didn't stop there. He then breathed his breath into you. So, if, my, if, if God cares enough about me to put his hands on me and to breathe his life into me, why would I be more concerned about what's happening with another creation when, when I have the most intimate relationship of all his creations? So when we start thinking about and talking about and worrying about the stuff that's happening in this world... Not only am I a child of the creator, but what, 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 what could possibly happen to me 
when God has his hand on me. Because he, 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 he literally, man or woman, man, he took the dirt and, and clay and he molded us out of the dirt and clay with his hands. And then woman, he, he, he performs a surgery on the man. He, he's doing all of this with physical touch. So what, like God, God has literally had his hand on you. What could possibly happen to you when God's hand is on you? We talked about this last week. What's the worst that can happen? I die and go to heaven? Amen. That's the worst thing that can happen? That's the, that's the, that, is, that is the worst of circumstances is I die and go to heaven. That's why Paul, like I said, we talked about last week, Paul writes it. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If I live, it's because I'm blessed. If I live, it's because God is sustaining me. If I live, it's because he's giving me a peace. If I live, it's because he's protecting me. If I live, it's because of God. But if I die, I'm still gaining because I go to heaven. <laughs> so literally, no matter what happens, our worst case scenario is we go to heaven. This is how God works. God is so powerful. God is so sovereign. God is so infinite and never ending. That where the worst or where the best begins and the worst ends is the same point. Where the worst of it ends and the best of it begins is the same point. Best case scenario, I spend eternity in heaven with God. Worst case scenario, I spend eternity in heaven with God. So again, when you when you think about the sovereignty of God, and this is just me, when I think about the sovereignty of God, the image in my mind is the infinity sign. It's just it's just never it's never ending. It's just regardless of where you start, regardless of where you start, regardless of what you do, as long as you keep going, you'll end up. Th th there's no way around it. All right. So now um, God, uh, our peace is the godly solution to a worldly problem. Also, because. The problems themselves uh, are worldly. Like the problems themselves, um, let me put it like this. When, when we get to heaven, we'll have no problems. We only have problems because we're here. So the things that we, that we deal with, the things that we deal with are limited to earth. The circumstances that we face are limited to earth, right? So now what God then does is this is why peace is, it, it, this is why peace seems to be so mystic. This is why peace is so indescribable because, because what's happening is uh, you go through these situations and, and, and they're, they're attacking this. Each situation is attacking this. Even if it's internal, it could be in your mind, it could be in your emotions, but all your situations are attacking this. 
But what you're using to get through it or what you're using uh, to combat it is coming directly from heaven. Peace is not peace is not one of these one of these temporary things. Like I told y'all, peace, peace and joy, th- these are not these are not temporary things. These are not circumstantial things. Happiness, happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is predicated on what's happening. But peace doesn't work like that. Peace is Paul. I've been a base and a bound, but in all things, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. So when we when we find ourselves worrying, when we find ourselves concerned, when we find ourselves frustrated, think about think about does this affect my eternity? Does this really have an, an effect on my forever? And 99.9% of the time the answer is no. And when you look at it that way, there are a lot of times where once you take that approach, there's a piece that just comes over you like, you know what? Yep, the bills is due, but they can't get what I ain't got. So, uh, what's next? Yep, I'm, I'm sick. The doctor said ain't no cure. What's next? <laughs> the kids is acting up. I'm doing the best I can do. What's next? I mean, I mean, what, what else is there besides putting it in God's hands, saying, God, you're sovereign over all my circumstances. You knew what I was going to face. You knew what was going to be an issue for me. You knew what was going to be a problem. You knew what, what my concerns were going to be. God, I'm giving it to you. And like Paul says, I'm giving you thanks even now for what I haven't even seen yet. And then you got to go even further and, and, and you got to have a, 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 a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego spirit and say, even if you don't bring me out of it. Okay. That's what they told Nebuchadnezzar. And like, the reason why we're not worried is because we serve a God that we know will bring us out. But even if he doesn't, we know that he's able. Amen. So if he choose, him choosing not to is not the same as him not being able to. So, what I'm, I'm telling you, peace, peace will have you asking, what's next? Peace will give you the ability to look the devil in his face and be like, okay, what now? <laughs> what, what now? Just like, just like Job. You ain't tired yet. Jo- jo- Job, 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 Job is... Job basically looks at his situation and says, you know what? Now that you've done all of this to me, I ain't got nothing left. I got nothing else for you to take or touch. So now, now what? Now, now me and me and the devil, we just looking at each other. Like what he looking at me, like what I'm going to do. I'm looking at him like, what you going to do? What wasn't, What's next? So, so understanding that uh, when we deal with these circumstances, 
God, God essentially um, gives us uh, an unfair advantage. He, he gives us weapons of mass destruction. He gives us nuclear bombs while the enemy's playing with uh, uh, bow and arrow. Okay. Now, uh, last last point. Um, God's peace lives in the eye of the storm. God's peace lives in the eye of the storm. I want to explain this idea to you. If you do research on storms, if you do research on storms, uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, uh, you do research on storms, you will find that every storm has an eye. And whether big or small, because some storms, the eye is bigger than others. But whether big or small, the eye of the storm is the calmest part in the storm. And so, and so here's the thing. You can get caught up in the whirlwind of the storm. But even if the storm catches you up in the whirlwind, if you can survive the whirlwind and make it to the eye, then you make it to the calmest part of it. Here's what's interesting about about that uh, train of thought. God put the calmest part of the storm right dead in the middle of it. I believe that the reason why God does that is because uh, if he puts it too close to the beginning of the storm, then, 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 uh, then we can turn back. If he puts it too close to the end of the storm, then we won't go. So he puts it right in the middle that the beginning almost took me out. And now I'm right here in the middle. So I'm too far to go back. But because I've seen him bring me through the beginning, I now have enough peace to make it through to the end. And or God takes you through the beginning Gives you peace in the middle just so you can wait it out. And maybe, just maybe, while chaos is happening around you and you're waiting it out in the middle, that chaos and that whirlwind is blowing, and when everything settles, you settle right in the place where you were trying to get to. Because here's the thing the eye of the storm is in the middle. But the eye of the storm is not stationary. So as the storm moves, the eye moves as well. So, so the eye, the middle may be your holding place because God is actually using the storm as your transportation. Mm. 
But if you give up in the whirlwind, you'll never get to the peace. If you don't go, you'll never get to the peace. Because here's the reality. If you don't go, then you're in the path of destruction. If you don't go, when the storm passes, you'll be a part of the debris. But if you go and you don't give up and just make it to the just make it to the eye of the storm. And like I said, some storms have bigger eyes than others. Which means that some storms have room for other people. Some storms it's only room enough for one. There's some storms you got to go through by yourself. It's you and God. Your mama can't do nothing with you. Your spouse can't do nothing with you. Your best friend can't do... Some storms, it's just you and God. And then there's some storms where we can say, you know what? We're going to ride this thing out together. Either we all make it or none of us make it. (laughs) But regardless, the peace is in the middle. Pieces in the eye. Here's the thing. Here's the last thing about being in the eye of the storm. When you're in the middle of it, that is your clearest vision point. So, although there's chaos, literal chaos around you, because you're in the in the calmest part. You can literally see everything that's happening on the outside. Had you never made it to that point? Because because you got to understand a lot of times in order to get to the eye, the wind has to catch you up and take you up into the middle of it. So when you think about elevation in your life. Many times elevation happens in the middle of chaos because you have to be able to see from high territory what's happening around you. So you'll know when you've hit the eye of the storm because you can see everything being torn up around you. But for you, everything is smooth and clear. And it's not that I'm not in the same storm. I'm in the same storm. I'm in it. But I can see clear in it. That's when you know God's peace is working. I'm, in, I'm caught up in it. I'm, I'm caught up right in the middle. But it's calm. It's, it's peaceful. And it's clear. So now I know I have this peace that surpasses all understanding. Because there's no explanation as to why it's so calm in the middle of the storm. But what we do know is statistically, people that get caught up in the storm, most of them don't make it through to get to the eye. Everybody ain't built for it. The majority of the people aren't built for it. 
The beautiful thing is when we start talking about things from a spiritual perspective, you can decide whether or not you're built for it. You decide whether I'm going to give up. You decide whether I'm going to sit still and just, just wait and see what happens. You decide on if you're going to say, I, I done got caught up and I'm just going, I'm just going to let it take me away and, and take me out of here. You decide if I'm, if I'm going to trust in God more than I'm trusting these circumstances. But in whatever decision you make, remember that whatever choice you make is on you because God is sovereign over your circumstances. Does that make sense? All right, that's all I got. Anybody else got anything? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this fellowship, God. I pray that uh, that this word be real and relevant. I pray that it draws closer to you. I pray that it give understanding. Uh, and I pray that, that it helps us through life situations uh, with, with new vision. Now, God, I just ask that you give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. I pray that whatever circumstances are being dealt with right now, uh, that you help us to see and understand that you are in control. God, we thank you and we praise you for these things in Jesus' name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.